Welcome to, um, well, a slight change, I guess, in the first Focus podcast. Uh, my name is Lee Robertson. I'm the new regular guest host, and I'm delighted to be joined this morning uh, for episode 10 by the founders of Clients First, John Pittam and Gemma Hayes. Um, we're going to explore a little bit about the backstory about Clients First. I might as well start at the beginning. So um, hello to you both. Hi, Lee. Delighted to be here. Hi, Lee. Good to be here. Great to have you hosting, Lee, the guest host. I love that. Quite a coup. It's, uh, it's cost us a lot of bottles of wine and whatever, but yeah, no, great to have you here. Oh, listen, I, I feel very, very privileged. As, as you know, I, I kind of, I like media and, and I feel very, very privileged to be to be asked to be a, a regular guest host. And for me, this is really exciting because I think, John, you and I have particularly known each other for a long time, but, but I think what we're going to do today is explore, as I say, a bit of the backstory a bit about how clients first came to be, what you've been doing through the years, where it's going, etc. And so it'll be quite interesting around that whole that whole marketing and branding and digital journey, I guess, that, that you have been on, but also you're helping your clients be on. So what I'd like to do, if I may, um, is speak to you both about, tell me about the very beginning. You know, what, what was the, we always talk about the itch that people wanted to scratch. What led you to to think, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to start an agency. I think it's probably easiest for me to answer that. And and, and there's a, there is a story to this. And, and that is that um, people may or may not know, but I spent 10 years at Friends Provident sort of corporate world, like many people who come into the financial services sector and certainly the financial planning and IFA sector. Um, I then moved uh, in 2006, I think it was, to an advisory business up here, south of Manchester, where I was a director for three years. And then the the credit crunch hit and, and um, I exited that business. Um, and I'd always been on sort of management fast track programs at Friends Prov and all the rest of it. And we had two children, a third coming along. And I thought, oh, OK, I'll just get another job. It'll be fine. And and actually, time went on a bit. And, and you know, we were kind of three or four months in and then six months in and then eight months in. It was like, OK, so uh, the savings are starting to be depleted. This was obviously 10 years ago. So 2009. And um, and then I thought, actually, hold on, let's let's start a business. And, and, and of course, I knew financial services, of course, I knew financial services marketing, I knew IFAs. And, and for me, there was a big gap in really client engagement and client communications. And that for me was the catalyst to write, okay, start the business. So when you talk about uh, you, you know, the itch. The itch, I guess, was, um, which is not probably the right thing to say, was actually, I needed to earn some money. So, so, so that was the start of the business. Great. So Gemma, do you got anything to add there? Yeah, I think so. I mean, from my side, it was probably, if I recall, John, about three months in um, to you kind of having the initial uh, idea or, or itch, as you might want to call it. Um, I remember vividly standing in John's kitchen with a glass of wine um, and we were just uh, having a bit of a chat. And at the time I was working agency side in a PR role and um, we were just basically talking about the financial services sector and in terms of how actually communication in the sector was pretty poor. And, and you know, at the time I was thinking, well, this is interesting because I, I'm working a bit kind of on the on the PR side and I thought okay I knew I knew the PR kind of landscape was changing and and at the time I thought with the evolution of online and the web it just felt I don't know the itch for me I guess Lee was kind of thinking actually I can bring something to this dynamic which is obviously where it where it kind of started for me so that that great marriage then of marketing but also communication which is which is an incredibly important component isn't it of, of messaging and get, getting um getting that kind of brand awareness out 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's where we both kind of went, actually, there's some opportunity here to look at this. And I think it was at a time when, you know, the sector was starting to change, you know, RDR was on its way and people were starting to think about client engagement. People were starting to think about the value clients get from the relationship with the advisor. Financial planning, I guess, was really in its infancy. You know, people weren't talking about cash flow modeling, anything like that. And, and, and actually, there was this whole piece about some firms really just wanted to look at what they were doing and do things better from a from a marketing client engagement piece. So I think that we we kind of arrived at the right time in terms of that opportunity. It's interesting because, you know, my next question basically was what was that marketing landscape like back then? You know, I remember the discussions with advisors at conferences saying, well, I see you've got a website. Why are you bothering? You know, which is incredible. And that's only a short few years ago, really. So when you set this up, what was that landscape like right then? The only way to describe it, I guess, um, was that it was slightly barren in terms of the landscape. It was, you know, it just felt like um, the activity being done was very much a tick box exercise at the time. You know, oh, we send a newsletter quarterly, we do this, we do that. But there was never really any thought as to why it was being done and actually what the value of that activity was. So that would certainly be my kind of perspective on it. And I think you're there, you know, you said there about the quarterly newsletter. I actually, I think that was probably about five and 10% of the market then, you, you know, they were thinking a newsletter. And of course there were these ones produced in PDF that were either sent as attachments or they were, you, you know, they weren't very personalized. It was all financial news, you know, market updates, et cetera. And, 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 and that was as almost as good as it got beyond the annual review meeting, annual review meeting, very paper-based client experience, very paper-based, um, you got a, you might get a hard copy through the post. You might have got a PDF attachment as a newsletter. That was the extent of marketing. I, I do think that advisors themselves actually were doing a lot of networking. So if we can, in that business development sense, advisors were at networking events and and you know generating referrals in the traditional sense, which which is still really important today. But but that was kind of the extent of business development and marketing. And I, and I think from in hindsight, you know, we talk now a lot about the buyer journey. The buyer journey at that point was very linear. You know, it was very much, you know, you did a bit of networking, you, you know, and, and, and that's how it felt at the time. So so it did feel, you know, that there was there's quite a lot to come from that perspective at that point. So in effect, then quite, quite you know, as you say, quite a greenfield site, lots of opportunity. What, what were advisors like back then? You know, one of the things I, I love about Clients First is, is you is you work with progressive firms and you set your stall out. You're working with progressive firms. And we'll come to that later. But the early adopters, those who began to break away from the pack, even back then, in terms of they'd begun to think that a, a very homogenous quarterly newsletter wasn't enough, that they were beginning to think about their, you know, what their clients looked like. They were beginning to segment. They were beginning to work out who was pre-retirement, who was, who was post-retirement, who was, who was in the early saving stage. What were the sort of clients, you know, as, as advisors you were dealing with back then, and, and how did they help? I guess help you in a way frame your services back then. I think that's a really good question because they certainly helped us frame our services, and 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 that. You know, we're very fortunate to pick up some, some, as you say, progressive firms early on in terms of we just wanted to do things better, just wanted the client, ex fundamentally, the client experience to be better. 
um, and then that lent itself into marketing. So if I think about, you know, I think actually about the first client we took on um, and, and actually a very small firm, but, um, you know, Phil, and I can mention him here, you, you know, I remember him writing that check to me when I came out of the office and it was our first check. And I was like, wow, it's great. We might, we might have a business here. Something might happen. Um, but his, his, what, what he was looking for, he wanted to send a personalized comms on a fortnightly basis to all his clients. And he wanted to be from him and he wanted to sort of have an opinion and, and, and actually, because no one was doing that, you, you know, they'd send the odd email to individual clients or they'd have a, a newsletter that went to everybody. And it was about financial news. And that was arguably the type of client we were picking up that were just trying to do something a bit more individual. And also, I remember a couple of firms, there's one uh, local to us here who have re actually remained a client for, for near on 10 years now, um, really, as you said, there, wanted to segment, knew that they couldn't give a client experience to um, their older demographic as the new younger clients, the wealth accumulators coming through, and therefore they needed to communicate differently. So, so that whole piece made us start thinking about, okay, so if we're creating content, if we are you know, helping that client experience. If we're marketing to these people, we need to think differently about what that message is and how we engage with them and the different types of media, you know, and they were then very much, okay, so, you know, the hard copy newsletter, although it was bespoke, should be posted out to some clients because that's how they like to engage. Others don't want, well, don't want hard copy, you know, they'd much prefer to have electronic. So those things really start to help us shape our proposition. And I think in those very, very early days, um, a lot of my time actually was spent on the phone, um, just in understanding a little bit more about the market and understanding where advisors were. And I think if I go back to that time, there was a real kind of spectrum in terms of, of that, sh that, that, that dynamic. There were very much the ones that were at the point of embracing or doing and, and the kind of what we would call more progressive advisors. And then there was a group certainly that were very much the other side of the fence. And I, I don't know how many times I heard on the phone, actually, our, our clients don't like or receive email. It's just not something. And, and I think that was the you know, the feeling at the time, there were very much two different camps and, and, and that was very much where it sat. You've just segued really nicely into my next question, which was, which was how important did email become? I, I think for us, in terms of the growth of our business, email was really important for us. Now, when we talk about email, we're talking here about HTML, email, email newsletters, etc. Um, that was really the catalyst for our business. And the first product we launched was a product called Mail First, which is still around today. Um, that was really important to us. And, and I think that's where, you know, and then we had the whole conversation, well, clients aren't opening email and, and you know, they're not opening these emails, you know, the open rate's 30% or, or whatever it might be. But, but that wasn't the point of the, the, the communication. The point of the communication was to show that you cared, to show that you were still around, to show that you were, you know, to put yourself front of mind with the client. Um, so that email piece for us, if, if that was the purpose of the question, Lee, was, was really important for us to then be a catalyst to the other work we did in growing the business. Mm. Absolutely. And I think when you, you spoke about email there, I mean, technology, the technology that we use to underpin that proposition was then used and still is used for much more than just, you know, an, e an email communication going out in, in the sense of a traditional comms, you know, that's used for various things like portfolio rebalancing, etc. So it has really evolved. But in essence, that's where we started. And it underpinned very much what we did then going forward. Thank you. It's this this um, the care bit. 
I, I always find really interesting because I, I think in many ways advisors or financial planners, um, and, and I, I still vaguely count myself as part of that tribe, um, sometimes don't get the the credit they deserve for the amount of pastoral care that they do with with their clients, particularly post RDR. I think good firms were doing it before RDR, but so many firms are doing it very, very well now. And that RDR bit that you touched on earlier, John, what shifted from pre-RDR to post-RDR in terms of the way you were working with your clients? I think for us, the one thing that certainly, some firms were coming to us to say, we've agreed a suite of services with our client. If you remember that, you know, part of the, and you'll be much closer to this than I, uh, Lee, but the regulation was you had to clearly set out to clients what it is you're going to deliver for them, you know, the the services agreement, whatever. And often people would put on there various things that they then needed to deliver. So often we got people coming to us and say, oh, hold on, we've agreed to do a newsletter each year or each month or whatever it might be. We need to make this happen. but I think as part of that, pe- people started to identify, advisors started to identify a deeper opportunity to, or, or more of an opportunity to engage with clients in different ways. You know, we saw more client events starting to happen. We saw sort of the, the fluffy stuff around the edges of the client experience start to be developed. You know, people were sending out gifts when they start to become a client. Everyone started to think differently beyond this kind of transactional world that we'd lived in, where, you know, it was pension advice and of course this was the wonderful thing about this is it was aligned to the growth of financial planning so suddenly you saw this move away from if you like product-led advice into financial planning into into being you, you know the as you say there the sort of pastoral approach to helping the client live a better life and everything that comes with that and that was a really exciting time where we were starting to do some really nice stuff around client experience and advisors were really pushing us to say how, how could we be different how can we really delight our clients because it's not about the money anymore or you know we or, or even when it is about the money for some wealth management firms that have that kind of orientation you know they wanted to then send out video updates for for market commentary you know and and make it really personalized and that was that was a really nice time in the in the growth of the business so just sticking with that for a second because i guess they would be the firms that that we would today describe as progressive they were looking to they were looking to be different they were looking to stand out from the crowd they were looking to differentiate and be seen to be different to their clients prospective clients what sort of pressures does that put on you guys as, as leaders of an agency who specialize in progressive? Because uh, I used to think that when I ran a practice, I might have been in that camp. And, and we're quite demanding animals, you know, the, the kind of the, the practice leaders who want to be progressive and are always demanding to look different. What sort of pressures does that put on you as a creative agency to, to address those needs? And, and how do you go about exploring it with those particular types of clients? I think that's a that's a really good question for, for me, and and it's something that that I personally I think of of kind of hold them held the mantle for in the in in the business to some extent is is pushing our creativeness and pushing our imaginations to do something different. You know, it's very easy for a, a client to come to us and say we need to develop our client experience and we improve their documentation, we improve the make make the onboarding process more digital, and we do. But how do we really push things further? How do we 
help that firm differentiate themselves based on where their brand is heading and what they're all about. And and that's not easy. You know, that isn't easy at all. That's the bit that we get paid for. Now, the, the, the challenge you've got then is about budgets, you, you know, the, the and we know that, you, you know, um, financial right. No client likes spending money, but but actually, if you're going to do something properly, give it that level of thought. Go deeper. Go further. Use more imagination. Be creative to to really differentiate yourself. That takes time to manifest itself. It takes you know people with experience creatives you know thankfully we we work with a, a you know internal and freelancers who can really add value into this process that stuff is is where the magic happens and it's not easy to do but when we find the right client to work with it's a joy it really is and i think just just kind of jumping on what john's saying there a little is that from what i've certainly seen over the years is that the perception of um kind of what good looks like has changed considerably over the years and I think now what we're having to do a lot with clients is actually move away from being so tactical and actually say look let's go right back to the brand what does your brand stand for what is it about and I think sometimes even now clients come to us wanting that kind of tactical delivery and often for us it's about an education piece as well mutually with them and saying okay look let's let's roll it right back let's go to that discovery phase let's find out a little bit more because I think if we always do that and what we find is the outcomes overall on a longer term basis are much better so um absolutely that that idea of quality has absolutely evolved over the years and i think so, sorry to jump in but i think you can identify some clients out there some advisory firms and forgive me i'm not familiar with every firm out there but but you know there's people like paradigm norton who who you know just have built a really nice brand you know cooper parry um you know i think murphy wealth i think the stuff adrian's doing is great they're really thinking about how they present themselves they're thinking about the client experience and they're prepared to invest in that and those firms that do certainly are starting to see the benefits of that in terms of new client acquisition brand awareness etc so you know you, you touched on very eloquently both of you about the client experience and, and, and digging a bit deeper there's also, I guess, um, and, and pardon my kind of uh, lack of knowledge of, of terminology here, but there's also brand experience. I've, I've noticed recently, I've, I've been looking, you I mean, you mentioned Paradigm Norton, Murphy Wealth. It doesn't just seem to be about client experience anymore. It's about, if I'm getting this right, brand experience. The minute you have any touch point with that brand, whether it's it's the progressive progressive thinking around behavioral finance and behavioral insights, whether it's progressive thinking around B Corp. I'm thinking Anthony Villas there, for instance, with, with First Wealth and, and his team. It, it, seems, it seems that advisors and financial planning practices, the progressive ones, are really thinking in a much more rounded way. What does the client expect? What does the team expect? What, what will the touch points be? And that must be, I guess, really satisfying for, 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 for you guys as an agency to be able to help there. So absolutely. I mean, I think one thing we're talking to clients much more about now is this idea of having a quality framework. So actually working from the in, in inwards, outwards, really. So, you know, if, if all the team are on board about what that looks like and what good looks like from, an, from a kind of internally in the team it makes our job much easier because everybody you know in terms of what we do from an execution perspective it always ties back to that so I think it's fundamental if not the most important aspect at the moment for for firms and and if people get that brand piece right you know it, it basically underpins everything the business does 
because it's the framework, it's the reference point, it's the how does the brand behave, whether it's behaving in the client with the client experience, behaving in meetings with clients, whether it's the way colleagues talk to each other, the way that the business deals with its suppliers, you, you know, that brand framework, those those values that, that sit so deep, when time has been spent to really identify those and hone those into a really... Um, I guess consistent and and um, well thought through and comprehensive, um, not necessarily documentation, but something that's just understood across the business. Suddenly, it gives an opportunity to leverage so much more activity that is just consistent and and aligned to growing that business. Is that something that that the good practices? And I'm going to use an example in a second of, of something I was at yesterday. But is that something that you feel? the good practices have taken the time out. They've spent the, the time, the time cost, and possibly even the money to really dig into that before they do anything else, before they even start pumping stuff out uh, on a kind of transmit basis, if that's the right phrase. Do you think those best standout brands, and I'm going to ask you shortly for, for an example, have really taken that time? And how long might that time take? So my view of that is that Yes and no. So there are some great leaders of financial planning, financial advice business here in the UK who don't necessarily need to spend so much time doing this because they just have a persona that that is the focus for their business and everyone just comes around because actually the brand is a reflection of the leadership team. Certainly in, in the smaller businesses, very different when you get into the corporate world. But um but those that really want to do something and make a difference in terms of the growth of their business, yes, they spend time doing that. And, and you know, if we think about the time it takes us to go through that process with a client, you know, this is six months, a year's worth of a journey um, in terms of building that out. There's a lot of thinking that goes into it. You know, it's very easy to come up with terms like, um, you know, we're transparent or, you know, dealing with people fairly or what, whatever those terms are. But actually... When you get into those unique terms that are are just for that individual firm because they've spent the time thinking, thinking hard, you know, that's the bit really, I think, that makes the difference. That deeper level of thinking where you really start to identify this stuff, that's where it becomes really solid. Um, so the best firms, yes, spend time doing it. But equally, some of the best firms have great leaders, which actually make this stuff easier because the leader just displays all those qualities that, that are inherent in the brand. And in terms of the communication bit, Gemma, which which I always think you know your gift for for getting the messaging out, uh, it, what John's just said, do you do you feel the strong leader helps, or conversely, can a strong leader hinder sometimes with the messaging because it comes a little bit about them and less about the business? I mean, that's a really good question. I think the leadership quality in terms of that message and that that kind of I guess figurehead in terms of uh, the brand is really really important, particularly because. For a lot of clients, it's about that alignment with the, with their values, with that individual, etc. So yes, very important. I think equally though, and more so as as time progresses, is is also the the brand itself and the messaging. And I think just 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 kind of following up on what was just said there is that I think you can often tell in the output from firms in terms of what their messaging is and and in terms of the quality of that comms that you know that they have done that work initially they've done that piece of work and to continue to build on that kind of what i would call quality framework in terms of what they do so i think both actually are equally important 
Great, thank you. So it, it would be remiss if we didn't talk a bit about social media, you know, the kind of maybe slightly late to the party, but of course, you know, it pervades everything in, in, in marketing terms and business terms now. What, what are the opportunities that, that you identified and you've been able to help clients with? And, and are there any bloopers along the way that, that you've seen either yourselves or clients make in terms of social? From my perspective, I think the the idea of social media is, I mean, it's completely kind of evolved over the years, but it's less so now about having just a presence. And I think that's often a mistake that a lot of advisors make is that oh, it's just about having a presence online and, and within the social arena. And it's actually far more about that quality of engagement now. So, and again, this comes back to my point earlier about firms doing this well is they're actually thinking a lot more about how that message is is conveyed what what that message is and and just the thought that goes into that 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 social media element of of what they're doing um is 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 quite key i think i think the bit that that i certainly talk to clients about is uh, the brand can have social media presence you know, but actually, for the majority of advisors and financial planning businesses, they do need one or two individuals who will carry that brand as individuals, because you know, social media is a deeply personal, human thing. It's a human interaction, albeit it's online, it's digital. And, and actually, if you look at the profiles that have used social media really well, um, you know, to leverage their their brand, etc., it's all been about that that human contact will be in a digital sense and that's what's really important i think the real difficulty is where people say oh i need to do social media or they're told to do social media and they you know jump onto social media they start posting once a day it's pretty dull stuff it's a you know regurgitating their blog or whatever it might be there's no interaction and then within three weeks six months whatever it might be they get bored and, and fall away again you know Social media is about that that interaction piece, building a personal brand, um, and then that can work with a company. Certainly, if you've got you know if you're you know thirty or forty people, and 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 you know you've got a couple of people that are leading that brand on social media, that's really helpful. But that's where the value is. That the bloopers are where people kind of go, oh yeah, I'm going to do social media because I'm going to win more clients on social media, and they they just start tweeting random stuff or posting stuff on LinkedIn, no interaction, and, and that will just fall away. That will just fall away. I did promise you an example. I, I was at my first real-life conference yesterday since the start of lockdown, and I went to Kathy Harrison's Verb Evolution. And and so we we probably you know she now has a number of brands within within the Verb Group. And the thing that struck me was they exemplified everything about good marketing and branding yesterday, from from not just the physical stuff, you know, the stands and the and the brochureware and whatever else was there. It was the fact that every single team member, and I was really lucky, I was invited out to dinner afterwards with them because I, you know, I took part in some of the judging. Um, but every single team member was talking the same way. They were genuinely enthusiastic. They were following Kathy and Joe's example of of what the Verve Group stood for. And I just thought this is a this is a progressive firm who's making big waves in financial services and has taken things like power planning and compliance that might have been seen a little bit dull not so long ago, and have actually made it fresh, invigorated, progressive, highly engaging, and really, really, really likable. And I just thought that's such a case study in terms of of what you can do, even with the slightly dry end of financial services. Yeah. 
absolutely i i think that is a fantastic case study you know we know i know we both know kathy and watching that journey has been been fascinating and wonderful you know just to see how that profile has been built etc and and as you say you know that just that the, the brand is consistent everyone talks the same everyone you know understands where they're heading and the value they add to people which is which is great and social media has been a, a, a huge help to them i know yeah and they're living it aren't they the whole team yeah. is living it which is which yeah. is fantastic so uh, having given you my example, and, and you don't have to name names here, but I, I thought it would be remiss if I didn't ask you the question of a particular client or type of client that, that you both really, really enjoyed working with, where you, you got to the end result and, and, you know, your results are always good. But you thought, wow, that's one that that's one for the scrapbook. That's just a perfect case study. So I, th there's a number really. Um, I think that... Do you know, a client that we don't work with anymore, but I really enjoyed the experience with, um, and it was earlier on in our growth. So it's probably, I don't know, five or six years ago now. And I remember them vividly, a Holland Hahn and Wills. So so they won't know I'm talking about them today, and they may well listen to this this podcast. Um, and and it was a time when we were developing our our kind of brand and web proposition. And, and we, we really, we wanted to do it thoroughly. You know, we weren't just going to go and say, look, you need a new brand. Here's some options of a logo. And, and here you go. We wanted to get under the skin of the business. And they were really open to that. And actually, it was a referral from Brett, from Brett Davison. And, and so they work with Brett and they knew they need to invest in the brand. We went down there and... Um, you know, we went through that process and, and they challenged us and, and, and we challenged them. And, and actually, when it came to developing the uh, the website, the brand collateral, I, I think we got a really great result out of that. You know, I think if I look at their website now and the website must be five or six years old, it still looks new and fresh. I think it was probably one of the first financial planning sites that used actual photos of clients. So this was five or six years ago, maybe even longer. Um, and they were really open to that. And, you know, they paid a professional photographer to do it. They were prepared to invest in it, both in their own time, but also then the resources to be able to, I, I guess, pay for the quality that they wanted in terms of the outcome. Um, so that for me, I think was a, a real point where I thought, actually, this is really nice work. And, and as a business, we really enjoyed going through that process with them. Mm -hmm. Gemma? Well, I think from my perspective, actually, I will bring it right to the present day with somebody or a regional, I won't name them, but a regional IFA firm that we work with who are just an absolute delight to work with um, on a number of bases, really. Um, they have somebody internally who who is kind of our point of contact from a marketing perspective. And having that point of contact, I think, really helps that dynamic between us and them. Um, but what's really nice about this firm that we're working with is that they haven't really drawn any lines in the sand in terms of what we can and can't do with them. So they are embracing the journey. And every time there's something new, particularly with social, for example, a new way of doing something, they, they are embracing that and, and, and kind of we're taking them on that journey as we are developing and learning as well. And I just really like the fact that they are so open minded to marketing and to you know, what we can do for them. And I think the journey, particularly up until now, it's been a year or so now that we've been with them and, and I see it continuing really just in terms of that relationship and what we're able to do and what, what their from what their perception is really of what, what good looks like. So it's more for me the present day and what, what we can do now. Great. So as we wander towards the close, because I'm conscious of time, um, I'd like to do some, uh, Just um, I'm just springing this on you, a, a, a few quick fire questions, if I may. 
Um, and both jump in, both answer, don't answer, whatever works for you. Um, first thing any brand should do when they're, when they're considering a refresh. Talk to their people internally. Get everyone involved. How often should a brand refresh? A, fun, a fundamental refresh, um, I think that's difficult to say, but in terms of refreshing the brand on an ongoing basis, that should be an iterative in terms of making sure everything's on point always on an ongoing basis. Usually we would say five years, three to five years, because design dates and, and the brand can date if it's not visually kept alive. And that's different to the, you know, the brand is much deeper than that, but from a visual perspective, maybe three to five years. Okay. Brand champion or team effort? Oh, difficult one, that. Um, Both. Both. You've got to, I think you've got to have someone. Great if the team are all brand champions. But but I think you need someone who you know is just going to identify where there might be gaps. And also, you have a brand champion. At the end of the day, the team will follow that. So, So I think actually, from my perspective, brand champion is number one. I don't think brand champion should be a title either I, I, for one person. I think, oh, they're a, they're a brand champion is, is a better way of, of kind of talking about it in the business because they get it. Um, first thing any brand should do in terms of getting their message out. Ooh, that's a, that's a trick. What should they do? Um, communicate frequently with clients. E- evaluate where they're their message is going would be fundamental for, for before they get their message out. Just ensure that's right in terms of where that placement is. Thank you. How do progressive brands differ from the more generalist practices, do you think? For me, open-mindedness completely. Open-minded to, to progression, to what's new, innovation. A, 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 an ambition to continually improve. Continually improve. Get better get better never never rest on their laurels fantastic um, social proof good bad indifferent really good really good if done well and properly yeah um, awards yes or no yes absolutely yes the right the right ones yeah uh, they've got to be aligned to the brand. And, and this is where we talk about brand that, that you know, if, if you I mean, I get emails all the time, you've been ranked top marketing agency in Cheshire or whatever it might be, you know, that carries no weight with our target audience. Um, therefore, you know, if I, if I, if we pay to win that award or <laughs> that's a bit harsh, but you know, we stick that on our, our, our website, it does our brand no good whatsoever. This is the final quick far. And then I've got two final questions. What do you most like working about working together? I think that uh, we complement each other. We're really quite different. Yeah, my, my first thought on that was because we're so different, it works very well. Fantastic. Well, and, I, she's, I, my, and she's my sister, which yeah. people probably don't know. Oh, I may not have mentioned that. She puts um, up with me. <laughs> and has done for many, many years. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so final, final two or three questions then. How do you see things progressing in professional services marketing? I mean, the thing that, that stood out for me is, is that so many progressive firms now have a marketing manager or a marketing assistant, whereas that, that would, wouldn't have been known in a, in a smaller financial planning practice, not, not, not even many years ago. How do you see things progressing? So, so I think that the 
it, things, I mean, it's a really obvious answer, but things are going more and more digital. I think people are, go, the clients are going to be able to self-serve more so through advisors, through portals or whatever it might be. I think that digital experience is becoming really compelling and elegant for the businesses that are using the right software. Um, everything's becoming more connected. Um, and, you know, and, and brands are coming to the fore because as we know, you know, the, the whole move now away from it's not about the money. It's actually about, you know, making people live the life they want and all that sort of stuff. The brands that align to that um, and start to push that, I think it becomes really compelling. So so big focus, as you mentioned there earlier on, on, on Lee, on brand and, and just really getting the brand right. And I think there's far more choice now um, for firms in terms of of, of the tools they use and what they're doing. So I think just kind of just looking at what's working in the market and understanding a little bit more um, in terms of some of that, that, that stuff, tools definitely evolving. A lot of conversations around tools at the moment with clients. And, and do, do you mean brand tools or, you know, design tools? I mean, there's so many of those available. All, all, all of it, all of it, Lee, in terms of the tools being used across, across a firm. Yeah. And I mean, thinking about brand tools, you know, marketeers now, you know, a job that used to have to be done by a designer or a developer can be done by marketeers now because, you know, the CMS is so elegant or, you know, the tool isn't as complex as Photoshop, it's Canva or whatever these tools are. So now that the risk comes with that because you get marketing managers, you know, doing design work, which is can be a bit, you know, um, dangerous, I guess, at times. But if the brand framework's there, you know, you, organizations and, and businesses can now have these tools to really start doing some really nice work. And, and quite immediate work as well. So I, I guess that's a, an adaptation that you guys have had to make to, to kind of accommodate some of that stuff that's now might be self-built or self-generated in the way that, is, that you would have picked that up in the past. Absolutely, yeah. And I guess that really means the brand champion or champions have really got to be on their toes. Uh, I mean, one of my big bugbears is always finding slide decks that someone has just built themselves that that, that, that bear very little relation to, to to what the brand guidelines say but uh, but there we go i mean i still see i still see you know valuation reports financial planning reports you know the client's got a million pounds or whatever they're paying however x amount per year or or planning fee and then they get given this document and you go ah you, you, you know, and it's just different size typefaces, all, all that sort of stuff. And, and yeah, there's still work to be done. So final question then. Um, I mean, there have been some changes at Clients First. You know, you've, you've been adapting, you've been attracting new types of clients. Do you want to talk a bit about that as to, to how things are developing and what's next, what's coming next? So, yeah, I, I think from, um, from my perspective, things have changed. So, so um, you know, three years ago, we became a HubSpot partner um, the sector probably isn't too familiar with hubspot it's a, a crm it's actually a marketing automation platform historically a crm um, and that really started to enable us to do some really nice work around digital uh, digital engagement digital marketing etc um, what that led us to actually is that that clients first over the last three or four years probably lost its way a little in the financial services space so what we actually did earlier this year we've launched a new agency called carmen digital which i I tend to spend more time on now, which is a, a HubSpot partner agency and clients first is refocused back into, you know, the financial planning advice market, the financial services space. Um, but having said that, 
the businesses work very close together. So, so they each get the benefits of the other's market and proposition and, and work they do. So um, I think it's going to be really interesting, particularly with some of the HubSpot tools that can be brought into the advisor space, um, you know, from a CRM perspective, from marketing automation and web build. And that's the exciting bit for me because the, the price point has come right down recently, which makes it very compelling for the, for the advisors and planners. That's perhaps something I'd like to revisit in a future episode, because I, I, one thing I've realized, having stepped out of the financial planning practice ecosystem, if that makes sense, and, and, and now we're users of HubSpot, is just how impressive it can be in terms of, of its reach, its intelligence, how you can produce stuff, how you can measure stuff, how you can drill down in a way that perhaps a financial planning practice's back office doesn't have that same flexibility and you can't you can't mold in the same way that you can HubSpot that you can with say some of the some of the back offices so so if you're willing I'd like to get you back in maybe and talk about that in the future no I'd love to yeah I, I talk for hours I talk even longer than I have done today Lee, and that, that's so yeah I might switch off the audience but yeah well that, that's me and my questions so Gemma um what's next for you what's next for clients first I think as as kind of John touched on there um our biggest focus currently really is around strengthening now clients first and going back to really what where where we were you know two years ago and and make and even building on that further so um we want to continue with the innovation getting better at what we do for clients and 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 really so really it's just about the easiest way of saying it Lee, is just going back to what we know and are experienced in and, and building out from there really I think what we really enjoy as a business is doing great work. That that's the bit fundamentally. When we when we know we've built a really nice website or you know developed a brand for a client and we're really proud of it, that's the bit that ticks the boxes. You know, we don't just want to create logos for people. We don't just want to get a website up as quickly as possible. You, you know, we want to do great work, and that, and that's really what drives us. And, and that's the lift on, I guess, from some of the template work that you see elsewhere. You you want to do really really personalised stuff that the practices themselves can be as proud of as you are i guess absolutely well listen i think that's probably a great way to 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 wrap things up i'd like to thank you both for taking the time thanks for letting me drive this episode um and and i've really really enjoyed it and you know me i could talk marketing and branding for hours so that i i apologize i've probably dragged this one slightly too long i'd like to thank all the listeners um who've taken the time to listen to this first focus podcast we hope to see you again for the next episode